Hey, my name's Ian Begley. You're watching the NBA Exchange with Dexter Henry. What's good, everybody? We are back after a week off. Wasn't here last week. Had some things to do, a little spring break vacation. But we are back here with NBA Exchange. And look, following the playoffs, a lot has been going on. We've seen a lot happen uh, throughout the first week. Now we're a little bit over that with the playoffs. A couple of series uh, we have tied at two, some 3-1. Fortunately, the series we're going to talk about today, my hometown Brooklyn Nets, they are down 3 nothing to the Boston Celtics. I don't think many people thought that. I had predicted the Nets would win in seven. It could still happen. They got to win four in a row. That's got to happen. Nobody's ever done that in NBA history before, so it should happen at some time, right? I don't know if it'll happen in this series, but, you know, we'll see. Now, somebody who told me that, my man Manny, he's watching the show right now, Nets fan. He told me Nets in seven. He's keeping the hope alive. We'll see. So we're going to talk about the Nets today. Joining me to talk about the Nets is good friend of the show. He is a great Nets writer for Nets Daily, one of my favorite sites. People know I used to work for Nets Daily, did a lot of work with them. He's been on the show before. He's back again. Chris Milholland, Nets writer. Chris, what's up, man? What's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well. We're, well, I'm doing better than the Nets are right now. Oh, so am I. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing better than the Nets are, but I'm doing well. Glad you were well. Glad you had the time to uh, come and talk with me about some Nets hoops. I wish we were talking about things a little happier with the Nets. I wish we were talking about it being 2-1, going into game four tonight. Nets have a chance to even it up, but we do not, unfortunately. We're not going to be able to talk about that. All right, here we go, Chris. Let's start. Celtics. They're up 3-0 in this first-round series over the Nets. Why are they up 3-0? What has gone wrong for the Brooklyn Nets in this series, Chris? Well, in my opinion, the main reason that's been going wrong with them is when you look at this whole Nets team, number one, you could point out the lack of roster construction, what they've been through. But really what, what kind of stands out to me the most is the lack of cohesion, how important chemistry and cohesion is in a playoff series with a playoff team, right? Because I think that's what's really standing out with this Nets team. Obviously, we all know that they've been thrown left, right, and center with Totally different obstacles from, obviously, Kyrie Irving's situation, Kevin Durant's injury, the, obviously the big COVID breakout in the middle of the year. So they had so much to deal with. And, you know, just overall, the Celtics just look like a more prepared team. They made, they're making a lot more adjustments, which obviously we're going to get into as well. And on top of that, you know, they just – when you have a guy coaching them like Ime Udoka, who was the Nets defensive – really defensive coordinator last year on this season, they, they know he knows exactly what potential the Nets offense could bring, even though this roster is obviously filled with brand-new looks. Yeah, definitely. He knows that at all. And you look, you mentioned a big thing there, I think, Chris, that people haven't necessarily talked about a lot, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the talk before the series was, okay, you got KD, you got Kyrie. When you got those two, you always have a chance. You mentioned the words chemistry and cohesion, two C words there, that I think matters. Do you think they haven't had that chemistry and cohesion because of everything that's going on this season with Kyrie, uh, with you know not taking the jab? Uh, KD being injured, the Harden drama. Is that part of the problem here? 
100% is part of the problem. Because when you look at this team, it's the 43, 44, I think it was, different starting lineups throughout the season. That's a franchise record. That's even breaking last year. So when you look at that aspect, and then obviously the trade played a huge part in it as well, because you're bringing in guys like, obviously, Seth Curry, who kind of is that Joe, Joe Harris insurance, obviously, since he's out for the remainder of this regular season. But you can't really kind of overplay that lack of chemistry. Like, you have to be on the floor together to get that done, right? So... Even with guys like Drogic, for example, even though I would love him to get more minutes in game fours, and um, he, he came on the, on the ship late as well. And when you look at just how this whole season panned out, if you go week by week or month by month, this team has not really had a full type of sprint or an extended sprint where they're all healthy together like they are right now, aside from obviously Joe Harris and Ben Simmons. So I think that's just a very commonly overlooked aspect of just playoffs in general. Everyone thinks just looks at the talent straight off the roster sheet and says, you know, if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you have a chance. Don't get me wrong, you do. That's completely right. But when you look at what Boston has, especially with the continuity they have for multiple years on their roster, starting from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that dynamic duo, this is the reason why they're so well-connected, especially on the defensive end. It's not like the Nets that are trying to just kind of put it all together in this playoff series, and you could just see it every time up and down the floor. You can see it every time up and down the floor. Look, playoffs is not the time to try to put things together late uh, if you want to. Now, a lot of the talk that we will see or you have seen already, Chris, is about Kevin Durant. He has struggled mightily in this series. He has not looked like himself. I'll ask you the same question I asked Brian Lewis when I talked to him yesterday about this, which is, is it the Boston defense? Is it that KD's fatigued because he's played so many minutes down the stretch? Is it a combination of both? What do you think about Kevin Durant's struggles here against Boston? I'm leaning more towards the fatigue side rather than kind of the Boston defense side, but I'll start with the Boston defense side, right? Because what Boston defense is doing, especially when you look at what they're doing with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they're taking away the dribble actions. They're taking away the dribble pull-up pull actions. They're just taking away all of, all of uh, just the ball movement in general, how KD thrives, getting in space. And the Nets, like we, we predicted going into this, was that they were going to get too trapped at the ISO ball because the whole offense is stagnant, right? And that's what's happening here is because with Kevin Durant, they're, they're making him feel every bump and bruise before he even touches the ball. So when they And at the same time, you could look at the lack of adjustments Steve Nash has made. When you look at games one to game, th- game three and you kind of just review all the sequences and all the touches and all the schemes and plays, Dexter, obviously you know is better than anyone, that at, by game three, you are, the other team already knows what you're running. So you have right. to improvise. So with the Nets, they're not doing that. So they know where the ball is going to be going if Kevin Durant makes that back cut or he he rises up. So, you know, it's it's that aspect of what well, you, you, you can't overlook fatigue here. I think that's the main reason. When you look at Kevin Durant, especially what he had to carry from uh, before he had the injury with the four rookies when obviously Hart was out, Kyrie was out. Then you go back to when he was uh, kind of just out of the injury to make the playoffs. He had to play high 40s almost every single game. Yep. And that really fatigues on his legs. And when you go into a playoff series, and you got to also remember, this guy also played in the Olympics last summer, and he yep. also had to play the play in this year. So he didn't have that extended break like these top seeds do with their stars. So fatigue definitely plays a factor, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think fatigue definitely plays a factor. And there's so much, only so much, Chris, you can expect of KD, right? You mentioned the fact that he played in the Olympics last year. Also, we forget he's been in the league for 15 years. He's mm-hmm. 33. He's at the end of his prime. I'm not saying Katie's cooked or washed or anything like that. I'm just saying he's had a lot of miles on those Mm -hmm. tires there. And so, you know, you have to look at that. Now, one of the other things that you just mentioned and what you said, and this is something I really want to get into, is Steve Nash and Mm -hmm. making adjustments or lack of adjustments, shall I say. Look, I'm going to be blunt about this. I think Steve Nash has done a horrible coaching job in, Mm -hmm. in this series. He stuck too long with smaller lineups. 
He has not shown the in-game adjustments. Ime Adoka has outcoached him in this series. The, I'll ask you this question, too. I've been asking everybody around the Nets that I talk to. Is he on the hot seat? Should he be on the hot seat? Because when I see Nets fans on Twitter, Chris, I know you've seen it, too. Nets fans, they're big mad about Steve Nash right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think he should be on the hot seat? And is he on the hot seat? Yes, he's on the hot seat, but it all comes down to whether Kevin Durant believes he's on the hot seat, right? It's the, Those are the two main things, because when Steve Nash came to Brooklyn, it was Kevin Durant's decision. They had the previous relationship in Golden State when he worked there as a player consultant. And then we, when you really just dive into kind of what – because when Nash was brought in here, he was mostly brought in primarily to have that voice that people that the stars respected and a voice that could also manage the personalities, right? And that was kind of his main goal, his main reason getting hired. Because when you really look at it, he wasn't qualified for the actual job because he had no coaching experience. The only real type of coaching experience that you really want to even, if you can even account for, was his general manager duties with Team Canada, right? So when you really just dive into how he's played this whole entire season, he deserves to be on the hot seat because he's one of those guys. You, you, there's no adjustments. They're, they're running the same stuff. The care, obviously, he's not the guy that's going to take care of those careless turnovers, but at the same time, you could run or spread different ball movement to get rid of those careless turnovers, which is a huge factor in this. Twenty, I think it was 11 unforced turnovers out of their 21 from Game 3. So he's deservingly right to be on the hot seat here, and I would be shocked if he's in the Brooklyn head coach next year. I, I feel the same way, too. Now, my thing is, is management going to make a move? Is mm-hmm. KD going to, as you said, I agree with you. You said the same thing. Brian Lewis said the same thing to me. It's really about what KD wants. And we know this is a superstar league, superstar run organization. We know it all comes down to that. Let me ask you this. If you look ahead, if mm-hmm. you said you're shocked that he might be back next year, you don't mm-hmm. think he'll be back next year. Who do you think is a good coach? I know we're getting ahead to offseason stuff to come in and replace Steve Nash that can get this Nets team to the next level. Yeah, so I'll start with this first off, right? Because if they're going to make that decision, they have to make that decision a couple, at least a, a week or two after. I know it might not be a good look for the organization. Obviously, they're not going to do kind of the, what the Frank Vogel situation was. And Frank Vogel's situation is a, a vastly a little more different than what Nash is dealing with, right? Because you got to give credit to Steve Nash for credits too. And that's no other coach could have handled what he's handled in his two years in Brooklyn better than any other coach, especially an old school coach. So when you look at the head coaching vacancies, there's three teams right now. So the pool is pretty small, right? So there's, right. there isn't a lot of options right now. But a name that has really stuck out to me is Phil Handy. I really like Phil Handy, for example, but do I think he's going to take the Los Angeles Lakers job? I can imagine he does if he gets that offer to him. Because wherever he's been, from the, from the Lakers, Toronto, even before that, he's always came with a championship, right? He's mm-hmm. always had that championship aspiration. At the same time, he has a history of dealing with stars, and he's an NBA-ready coach. He hasn't had that opportunity before. But I feel like that would be a good a good spot for him right there. So I think that that's my number one pick. But outside of that, you got to look at it this way. Number two is like you saw that Steve Clifford was obviously a Nets consultant. He's back in the running for some positions. Mike D'Antoni looks like he's very interested as well. Can they go with that switch and get Mike D'Antoni back, especially mm-hmm. with such an offensive firepower team? It's going to be interesting to say. But, you know, it really what it really comes down to, like I said before, if they're going to let Steve Nash go, they have to really do this on a quick note. I, and obviously, you know, the Nets, they're, they're a team that really cares about their public relations image. So I don't see right. them taking that route. But at the same time, if they're going to look smart and look ahead here, and especially if Kevin Durant gives the okay on letting Steve Nash go, it has to be done pretty sooner than later. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see. Plus, you know, the fans right now, they mm-hmm. seem to want him gone. Like, that's that that's the thing. You, you see uh, our, our friend Manny Sucks, Sam Cassell. He threw oh, that's a good one. 
Sam Cassell's been a long assistant uh, in the NBA, worked on the Doc Rivers for a lot of years. He hasn't got a shot. I think that's actually a really that's a really good pick. That's a really good, interesting candidate. Obviously, Nets ties played for played for New mm-hmm. Jersey uh, back in the day. Also, Manny agrees with you. Should never got the coach position. He is on the hot seat, but he's not the only one. Yeah, we will see how this plays out. I'm very intrigued because the Nets fan base, from what I see, they are not happy. Not uh, happy with Steve Nash. Okay, can, can we talk a little bit about Game Four? I know nobody Let's really wants it. to talk about it. It feels like the funeral you don't want to go to, but uh, I mean, because nobody wants to go to the funeral. But Game Four, okay, we're talking about adjustments. Are there any adjustments that Steve Nash can make? We haven't seen him make any adjustments. He seems to be allergic to making adjustments. But are there any adjustments that Steve Nash can make in this game? Personally, it, I think it's too late to win the series, right? But it doesn't. But at the same time, it's never too late to actually start showing that you can make coaching adjustments. That's how I view this, right? Because in Game Three, like we were talking a little bit off air, the in Game Three, you just saw whatever was left of the Nets' spirit just get completely trashed. They 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 had their heads down for the final three minutes and change of play. And once when they started giving off the inbounds plays, which has been a huge, huge negative throughout this whole entire year. So it starts with the ma- the minor things, right? And it's it's ironic that I'm even saying this for a championship contending team or a team that had championship aspirations. You look at the, the 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 inbounding, right? Bruce Brown alone. I'm not just pinpointing on Bruce Brown here, but he had two careless inbound plays in the final six minutes of play in the fourth quarter, and those both left the transition buckets for the Celtics. Two of them, both of them, were actually and ones by Tatum. Then you look at other ways, right? So, like, one thing that has stuck out to me too is Seth Curry's been kind of that breath of fresh air for this offense. And when you look at the offensive rating, too, it's better than actually than the regular season rating. So you don't have to just look at the offensive end and think what's going on. But if you want to start pinpointing adjustment on the offensive end, ball movement, more actions, curls, cuts, screens, off-ball movement. You know, it's just all those small things. And then on the top of the – on the, just the cherry on top of the whole thing is don't be careless. It's not the regular season with these turnovers, you know. you got to really watch, especially with a tight-knit group like the Celtics, you got to play 40 minutes of clean basketball. And that's what Blake Griffin hinted at after the game three when he was on there. But other, other adjustments I want to see as well, you know, keep the turnovers a little more ball movement, answers defensively. You know, they have no answers defensively because the, the Nets, I'm not just saying, okay, this is what they should do. But if they get one stop, build on that one stop. Don't just get the one stop, slam it in transition and go for it. You know, slow the pace, slow the time, especially against a Boston team where their pace isn't that high as well. Then you really just look at it. They're getting killed in small lineups. Killed, killed. in small lineups. Absolutely killed. So you that means more minutes for Blake Griffin, more minutes for Nick Claxton. And, like, you know, with Andre Drummond, I don't know why he started last time, even though he had those rotations. It should have been Nick Claxton's spot. So, you know, when you just sum that whole thing up, like I said before, it's too late for this Nets team to actually pull it out in seven based on what we've seen in these game threes. Even though all of them have been close, if you take away all those turnovers, the outcome could be 2-2 or 3-1 even in the Nets' favor. But okay. it's I, I would leave it at that. Yeah, we will see uh, if they are able to make any adjustments. Now, speaking of Game 4, everybody thought that Ben Simmons would be back for Game 4. The word came out yesterday, Woj breaking the news. No Ben Simmons for Game 4. Steve Nash said today at shoot-around he was not surprised uh, about Ben Simmons not being ready for Game 4. Is this disappointing for Nets fans, or should you not have probably been hoping Ben Simmons could help turn this series around? Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you should have been able to expect for him. Are you disappointed uh, in not being able to even get a look at Ben Simmons in this series? So I'll start off with kind of splitting into two sides here. Because, like, one side is that they're down 3-0. It's not surprising at all that they're not playing Ben Simmons. Because you could also make the right that does Ben Simmons even deserve to get thrown in there with no experience with his last game played in June. 
The other side of the equation is how the Nets have handled this whole entire saga since his arrival, right? They handled it almost as poorly as they could. There was no lack of transparency. There was really, you just, there's not really one positive that came out of it. And behind, like, when you look at it and really evaluate it, it gives off those vibes that it's behind, it's the net side and then the clutch sports side, right? You could tell that there's a little rift between there, and especially the lack of answers and the lack of kind of how they're navigating this, right? So when you look at Ben Simmons, for example, you could arguably make the question that, hey, that he might not, not play a game with the Nets. Because you don't, especially with kind of how the offseason's coming up, they got to make a lot of, lot of changes. And when you have a guy like Ben Simmons, obviously his trade value might not be too high because he wasn't able to display a product on the court, especially since last June. It's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that. But it's not surprising at all that he's, he's not playing game three because at the same time, it's like you could tell when C.D. Nash at practice said, I, I, I'm not sure. That's when I knew right away that he's not playing. Because if, if you're a coach and you had one of your players, that especially having a long anticipated return and had no setbacks, no nothing. And I know the report from Moshe came out saying that he woke up from back soreness in game four, but the shoot-around was also after that. So what, right when he's kind of hid behind and said, hey, I don't, I don't have an answer. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an update for you. I knew right then and there he wasn't playing. And, you know, yeah. that, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, I, I knew then. It probably was like, mm, I don't know if this is uh, mm-hmm. going to go down. Okay, we talked about the adjustments. No Ben Simmons. You know what you got with the Nets. You know what this personnel is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can the Nets win game four? Can they do this? Can they actually win game four? extend this series or you know is it a wrap tonight you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna look at the celtics and say they're gonna take a back step here because you know especially in the celtics mind they know how valuable that rest is especially when you have a teams like milwaukee coming up right obviously milwaukee and chicago there it's a competitive series right now but like it's gonna be the bucks and you when you have the bucks coming up and especially against boston defense number one that's gonna be a fantastic series but in in game four, I, I like I just see I just see the Celtics taking it right because what I mentioned before about the net spear being just completely ripped away from them and what was left of that, I don't think they could recover from that. And especially with this team needing to play a full forty eight minute clean basketball game, limiting their turnovers, no like the ball movement, which we really haven't seen since the opening sets of game one. And when you re- just really look at just how the the adjust what what the Nets would need to do especially, like I said, careless turnovers, more actions, more curls, that just breeds signs of a team that's like in training camp. You know what I mean? Like, especially that you have to just capitalize on those simple things. So do I expect Kyrie Irving to come out gunning, shooting for shooting a ton of shots? Yes. Do I expect Kevin Durant to be really aggressive? Yes. But at the same time, do I think that's going to be the formula to beat this Boston Celtics team in a game four situation when they know they have an extended period rest on their mind? No. So I would, I would have to go. I think it's going to be Celtics by 10 in this one. I, I like the Celtics to win this one. I, I'm with you. I think you looked at the Nets at the end of that game the other night, and it, like you said, the spirit was gone. Their heart mm-hmm. was taken. They looked dejected. Even when you saw KD in the press conference post game, he looked like, man, this is over. They've kicked our mm-hmm. ass, and you know, is what it is. Um, now we speak about KD and Kyrie. And mm-hmm. We look at this era, and we know KD wasn't there for the first year with the Achilles injury. When you look at everything that's transpired from the front office, acquiring James Harden, losing some of the depth, trading James Harden away, getting Ben Simmons, all this stuff that's gone on, Kyrie with the vaccine situation. Has the Katie Kyrie error been a failure or is it too early to look at it that way? What do you think, Chris? I I think it's been a failure. I'm not going to sugarcoat or nothing, man. Like, you know, because it's one of those things that, you know, it's a lot of stuff has been thrown this this team's way, right? Two straight years of COVID breakouts, 
you name Kyrie Irving saga, which obviously it could have been self-controlled. You know, no one's looking here like, hey, that that's something that the Nets couldn't play against. Everyone knows what the easy, the easiest solution to get that fixed was, right? And then when you really just look at kind of how everything transpired, the Kevin Durant injuries, and like I may be sounding like, hey, like the Nets have been thrown a lot in their way, which they have. But at the same time, like, you really just look at how this roster this year was constructed, and especially the cuts that they did make around the trade deadline, losing DeAndre Bembry, who was a kind of a three and D way, which is they're in desperate need of. You look at James Johnson, who can obviously James Johnson, he did not play well at all in the tail stretch of the, when he was at the Nets. But when you look at how is how he could kind of fill as that big body and kind of still stretch the floor and be somewhat of a limited threat, that could have helped out as well. And then you can't underestimate the loss of Joe Harris. You know, this team really needs wings. You just look at the presence on the court, the shooting, especially you could just see that's what's really been the catalyst of just this whole iso ball between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So when you just look at all those aspects, it's been a failure. You know, you can't overlook it. And obviously you can make the excuses saying, hey, a lot's been thrown at this Nets team's way. But at the same time, you know, when like, Dexter, you mentioned it yourself, you know, when you have Kevin Durant that's exiting those years of his prime, Kyrie Irving up for an extension this summer, you know, and you still haven't even delivered an Easter Conference Finals yet, you know, it's right. you got to look at it and say, hey, man, it's a failure. Right. They haven't been past the second round of, of the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think you have to look at it as a failure. You know, people, like you mm-hmm. said, you brought up a lot of great points. People will point to what hasn't happened, but you can't waste these years now at the mm-hmm. end of Kevin Durant's prime. And it seems like some of the years have been wasted with some dysfunction, some issues with roster construction. So, you know, it'll be – look, it looks like the offseason is coming for the Nets, as you, you and I think, soonest tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, and a lot of changes are probably going to come. Now, how they're able to make that, that'll be interesting. I want to ask you one thing real quick that we didn't mm-hmm. talk about. You mentioned Kyrie's extension mm-hmm. coming up this summer. Would you give him an extension? Because I think there's a world in looking at this or a way of looking at this where it's like, look, I don't know if we can trust Kyrie. He's mm-hmm. not necessarily reliable to everything going on. Yeah. If you're the Nets, would you give him an extension? And do you think the Nets will give him an extension? I do think the Nets are going to be an extension. But the question is, is it going to be a max contract extension? That's what I'm thinking right here, right? It's at the same time, it's it. Kevin Durant's going to have a huge say in this, as we all know, right? And when you look at Kyrie Irving for a guy that hasn't played over 60 games in a season before, and like you just look at kind of how this season really transpired with just obviously the the vaccination that just being obviously banished, brought back part time. And then you look at other ways. You got to also look at it this way. Can like I mentioned before, can another whoever comes in as the Nets head coach, are they even going to tolerate that? You know, are they going to even tolerate because, you know, me and you both know COVID's not going away. So right. if they bring back the mandates, you're back in this hole one more time. So if I'm if I'm the Nets, I would give Kyrie Irving maybe a three year deal with a, with a player option for year two and just kind of leave it at that to match it up with Kevin Durant, right? That's that's kind of what I would do. I wouldn't give him a complete max contract extension to have him stay longer than Kevin Durant, but at the same time, Kyrie Irving has no interest, like he's told us plenty of times, where he wants to go to another team. He said he wants to finish his career here. He's he's built on kind of just building something special here. But at the same time, if he wants to build something special here, he also has to put in his part, you know, there and you know. Yep. That's, that's the big thing, you know. So to sum it all up, you know, two years, two years, three year deal, you know, something like that. I wouldn't give him a max, though. I wouldn't lock him up much further than that. I'm I'm with you on this. And I also with you on what you said, which is like you want to do something special. You got to be available. You got to be reliable. Mm-hmm. We have to see those things tonight. All right. My man, Manny, checking in. This is what he says. Nets by six tonight. He is feeling he also this is also the same person that told me Nets will win this in seven, which because mm. of Manny te- texting me this yesterday, 
it gives us to our last question here. Is a series comeback possible for Brooklyn? No team in the history of the NBA, you know this, Chris, has ever yep. come back from 3-0 down. It's never happened. Some Nets fans are going to say, hey, why not us? Is this possible or is this a pipe dream? Manny, I love the optimism. Let's start off with that. But, you know, it's it's not happening. You know, it's it's one of the I, – do I think that the Nets have a chance of taking this, like, right now, right here, to just avoid the sweep? Of course I do. But based on what we have all seen from games one to three, I just don't think that they even have a glimmering shot of making it a 4-2 series. I think the Boston – if they don't take this one, they're going to take game five. And it, that's the thing because it's, it's, when they play in Boston – and especially when you you're getting thrown that insane like tenacious Boston defense and the crowd feeds off it, that's just going to build even more frustration. And obviously, actually, you know too, there was a lot of Celtics fans at Barkley Center the other night. But do do I see the Nets pulling this one off? hundred percent, I could see it, you know. But I, in my opinion, I just can't see it happening because there's so many small details, and by small, it, it gives off the implication that hey, that's possible to do. But with this Nets team, and like I mentioned before, like plenty of times already, the spirit was just ripped out of them in game three. I just don't see if they don't start off strong and carry a lead into the halftime or even the end of the third quarter. You know, I just don't see it happening. You know, I, I think Boston's going to bring out the brooms tonight. I, I think so, too. I, I just don't see it, man. The Nets, like we talked about the spirit, but also the major thing for me is they can't stop anybody. We've talked about the issues with size. They can't stop the Celtics. Not like the Celtics are a great offensive team, but – the size that they have on the wings, they're not able to match up well against them. It's just a bad matchup for them. I thought it'd be more competitive, but the Nets, look, lesson learned. People always say defense wins championships, Chris. It's somewhat true. you yep. got to be able to get crucial stops. I don't care mm-hmm. how good your offense is or how great offensive players you have. you got to be able to get stops. Okay, you and I, we say it's over for the Nets tonight. Sorry, mm-hmm. Brooklyn fans. Yep. You thought it would be better. This is going to be an interesting offseason, Chris. So you know you're coming back on the show. I'll be here. I'll be here, you know. (laughs) You know you're coming back to talk with me about what the Nets do this offseason, whether it'll be Steve Nash, any other changes. You know you're going to be back to talk with me. Whatever it ends for the Nets, it's going to be a really, really interesting offseason. 100%. Just in case anybody is wondering, Manny, still keeping that faith. Nets in seven. Yes, yes, He's yes. still saying Nets in seven. I, I mean, I, I like the optimism. Man, I I, I wish I had that faith. I, I wish do I not. had that. That is Chris Milholland. You can catch out his work at uh, Nets Daily, one of the great sites, the best site to find all your Nets news and insights. Shout out to everybody there. Chris, thank you for joining me. Um, like I said, we will have to have you back on really, really soon. We are going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to give you guys my picks. For tonight, including who I think the Nets are going to win against the spread and the other couple of games that we do have to uh, look at. We'll talk about that when we come back on the NBA Exchange. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the NBA Exchange. All you got to do is sign up now and use the promo code NBAEX. Prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep. 
That's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play. Download the Prize Picks app today. So the last show that we did before I was gone last week on break was a really good one because we got the chance to talk to Kenny Ducey about betting on the NBA playoffs. And whoa, looking at these playoffs, these games have been really good. We've had a really good first round. We've had not too many blowouts. You know, we saw the blowout yesterday with Milwaukee and Chicago. There's been a lot of really good and competitive games. Even if we talked about the Nets games against the Celtics and how disappointing the Nets have been, those games have been good. They've had a really good flow. There have been a lot of runs. Grizzlies and Timberwolves have been extremely exciting. Jazz and Mavs have been exciting. We'll talk about that in a second. So I've been really impressed with what we have seen thus far in these NBA playoffs. Now, with these games being like this, I got to be honest, it's been really hard if you're looking at betting on these games because you really don't know what's going to happen from one game to the next. One game you could think that, okay, this is going this way. Take this team to cover. Maybe take the under here. It's been really up and down, and there's just been a lot of a lot of stuff. So I'm sure some people have lost some money on some really close margins, but this is what I think makes playoff betting interesting and challenging. In a way, I feel like it's always more fun because you really have to watch the details in the series and how you think are things are going to flow. But it's also kind of nerve wracking because things are so unpredictable, right? But that's the beauty of the NBA playoffs and also betting around that as well. So it is, it's going to be very interesting with that. Now, tonight, we got three games, okay? Three games tonight. The first game we talked about is involving those Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics. That will be the first one. Will the Nets get swept? Will the Celtics move on to the second round? Game four tonight at the Barclays Center. Boston Celtics, they're actually not the favorite. This is how much the lines, the betting houses, are still respecting KD and Kyrie at home. This is basically a pick them. Minus one and a half odds on bet MGM. You look around at a couple other places, you'll see minus one. That's one point favorite. You know my rule on this. Anytime the line is that low, go with whoever you think is going to win the game and take the money line. Don't even play with the points, you know, because you don't want to get burned. Now you need the Nets to win by two or more. Here, if you take the Nets, they win in a one-point game. Now you're screwed. Just take the money line when it's less than, I think, a a field goal or a three-pointer. Just always do that. That's always my goal. I'm not going to stay too long on this because I think Chris and I covered a lot of this here. I think the net spirit is gone. I think their fight is gone here. I want to rock with Manny. I want to believe in him with the Nets in seven. I really do. I want to believe in that. But I just can't hear. I think Boston knows, like Chris said, they want to get something done here. They want the rest. They know they can use that time. Lord just came back and will play in the second game since coming back. He, I'm sure, could use some more rest. They want to get the team in order set up for their next series. They want to make a statement. I think the young players have made a statement in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart, the defense looking really good. So I think they know they want to rest it for the next round. I don't think they want any parts of having to come back to Boston and play another game. I think they take care of business tonight. I do think the Nets will show some fight at least for the first half. I don't know what I could say after that. I do. Manny had said something that I didn't post up here in the chat that if they get down by 10 or more points in the first half, he could see them giving up. I tend to agree with that. Boston gets out to a good start in this one, which I think they probably will at least, where they can withstand a Nets run. I like that. I got to take Boston here with the money line. I think it's the easy bet. I think it's a safe bet. I think it's one of your best bets of the night here. I just trust that the Celtics will want to close this out. I think this is an important game for this team 
in the Boston Celtics and showing that they can close this out. I think it would be a statement win, a statement series win for them. Good development. I'm sure Ime Udoka and the coaching staff is telling the guys, close this out. Don't mess around. Don't give this team any life here. And I think they get the job done at the Barclays Center. So give me the Celtics money line here to win. Get some pretty good odds in that. Why not take it there? Second game of the night, also Eastern Conference, also two Atlantic Division teams battling as well. Game five in this one, the Toronto Raptors versus the Philadelphia 76ers. We know about what went down in game three with the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid hitting that huge clutch three to lift them up in Toronto. Toronto showed a lot of fight in game four, a lot of guts there. They've been battling some injuries. Scotty Barnes is banged up. Fred Van Vliet is banged up. But they showed a lot of fight. But, look, it's a gentleman's sweep tonight, okay? I, I think that's happening. I think Toronto will have some fight. But this line is fine for me with the Sixers minus eight. I think they can win by eight or more points. If you're not comfortable, I would drop an alt spread, maybe down a couple of points, get that down to six. But I do think they get it here. Big game for Joel Embiid. The thing to watch for this with the Sixers and Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has that injured uh, ligament uh, in his hand, in his thumb, that could infect him. I wonder if that ever starts bothering him. He's playing through the pain. He's getting treatment. Uh, anything like that can really switch the fortune for the Sixers. But with that being said, they also are a team that needs to close this out quickly, get some rest, especially for guys like Joel Embiid and James Harden. Get them some rest. It's a good win. I was wrong in this one. I picked the Raptors in this. The Raptors haven't befuddled the Sixers in the way I thought they would. But, you know, never want to count out the Raptors. I think they'll play harder. I don't think their spirit is broken like the Nets. But I think Philly is able to get the job done, close it out tonight at home. Minus eight, I like it. I take it. If again, Like I said, if you're not comfortable with it, maybe look at an alt spread. But I like the minus eight here. If you can get James Harden any player props in terms of assist, uh, that's been very high for him lately in the series. He's been very good with the passing, 10 or more. I like that for him at home. He's played very well at home in terms of distributing the ball. Look for that him. Look for that with him. Also, if you can see anything with Tyrese Maxey, there's some stuff with him out two and a half threes. He's been getting a lot of those open looks, and he will take them. Look for that in terms of a player prop as well. I think there's some good things you can get on the Philadelphia 76ers side. Last game of the night is probably the most intriguing game of the night for me to watch at least, and that is the Utah Jazz versus Dallas Mavericks. Did anybody watch game four? Game four, the last two minutes was crazy. I thought it was a wrap for the Jazz. I was throwing dirt on the grave for the Jazz. You know this. If you watch the show, I don't think the Jazz are particularly good. I still think that team is going to break. They need to break it up. I still think it's over for them. I still think they have a ton of issues on defending the perimeter and perimeter players. Doncic came back, played very well, looked like he had a dagger, put him up five with under a minute to go. I think it was just over a minute to go. You thought it was a wrap, but the Jazz come back. You have a great lob, which if the Jazz go to win the series will be an iconic play. Uh, in terms of them winning that series, a lob from Donovan Mitchell to Rudy Gobert uh, for the win. They get that going. Huge for the Jazz. They win that at home. Now the series is tied 2-2 back in Dallas. But I think there's something to Dallas here. Dallas won two games without Luka. They got to be feeling good. We now have our leader back, our star back. We almost won in their building with our leader back, coming back off of injury. I think Dallas comes out pumped up tonight. Minus three. I think they're pumped up at home, and I think they give it to the Jazz. I think the Jazz get a little bit relaxed here. I think this is going to go seven now. I think the Jazz will then go back to Salt Lake, and I think it'll go there. I've liked Mavs in seven. I'm going to stick with that. 
I think, but I do think Dallas gets this tonight. I like Dallas here. I think they'll be pumped up. The crowd will be behind them. Luca will be pumped up to play back at home. And I think they're simmering, seething after that loss in Salt Lake City the other night. And they're going to want to get the job done. I think this is a very favorable line for you to take. Um, I'm not trusting the Jazz at all still. I wouldn't take that plus three with them. But I love this here. I love, I think, really think Luca's going to be motivated in this one. Look for a Luca triple double in this one. I, I have a good feeling about it. He's going to be very aggressive, very hungry, grabbing boards, looking for guys, looking to put a stamp on this game. Also, I always love role players tend to play better at home in these games during the playoffs. Look for some stuff. Dwight Powell was had a very good series and great chemistry with Luca. Look for him over whatever points he can get. Should be about around twelve on most betting houses. Look for that as well. Jalen Brunson, who's had a fantastic series. He's a guy you also probably want to get engaged in a couple of player props. Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been up and down this series, but generally plays well at home. Look for him, too, in some player props. So, to review, give me the Celtics' money line. I'm taking them tonight. Give me the Sixers' minus eight home favorites over the Toronto Raptors. And give me the Mavericks' minus three at home to defeat the Jazz. Those are my NBA picks for Monday night. It's a good one. Wednesday, we will be back. My man Gerard Hector will be joining me for a little NBA with Nuance Playoff Edition. We haven't done that in a while. We'll let you guys know uh, the time. Follow us on Twitter at the NBA Exchange. We'll let you know the time. It's a little bit up in the air. We might do a bit of a later show on Wednesday around 1 p.m. Eastern uh, starting live. If you missed this episode, you missed my interview with my guest, Chris Milholland of Nets Daily. Please check out uh, the archive version of this on YouTube, the Backpack Broadcasting Channel. Also, all audio platforms. NBA Exchange is a podcast as well, too. You can listen to it streaming on all digital streaming platforms. So please check that out as well. Appreciate you guys' support. It is good to be back. The first round, we are getting to the end of it for some teams. The second round is coming up. These matchups are very exciting. There still is a lot to look at and really dissect uh, in terms of this stuff. So really stay tuned to us. We're really excited. We'll see what happens tonight in Brooklyn, what happens in all these games. I know my man Manny is still saying net, Nets and seven. Uh, I'm saying that it's probably over, but we will see what goes down. So much to talk about this week on the NBA Exchange. I appreciate y'all rocking with me and uh, being back here for this and your continued support. Until next time, see y'all on Wednesday. Peace.